Are you gonna? This podcast doesn't exist. Thank you. Hello. Hi. I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And welcome to this podcast doesn't exist. At one point in our podcast career, we'll eventually have a, a real quote-unquote intro, but I'm really liking these ones, so... We're gonna have a whole album, I mean, basically. we gotta... Oh my gosh, that's what we fill the album with, it's just those. <laughs> just the intro songs. Well, that means we need to broaden. I feel like we've been sticking very, like, big band 40s or, like, 1960s television show. I no, like... we did... I gave you a beat, you draw... And you, you did, like, a... Oh, like a weird techno thing. Yeah. Well, next time... We gotta okay. bust out the like emo, okay, screamo version. <laughs> I mean, I will leave it up to you. <laughs> well, then do I need to do like a scary thing to go with that? I don't know. I don't I'll know. think about it. Well, That's for next week. Yeah. But welcome, y'all. Who are we? Oh, we've already said. Oh, we're best friends. I was like, <laughs> I have said here? my name. <laughs> I said my line, stage manager. We're two best friends who like talking about unsolved, mysterious things. That's what this podcast is about. If you're here for the first time, welcome, my friends. A very, very welcome to you. Um, what a good throwback that thank was. Thank you. I really like it. You should cross off that square on your bingo card. Bingo card, Shannon. What are you talking about? Well, we recognize that sometimes it's hard, Nisha, to just sit and listen to something. So we give you an activity. You can find that bingo card and our socials and a bunch of other cool stuff at our website, which is this podcast doesn't exist.com. We're getting good at these. We're trying. We're trying to tighten it. Tighten it up so tighten that it. the skippers like Robbie don't get mad. I don't actually know if he skips through our episodes. Maybe he feels obligated because, you know, he's like married to you. I think he really just wants to know everything that's going on. He wants to get the jokes. Yeah. Jokes, jokes, jokes. He also wanted me to clarify that the reason that he asks if they are good episodes is not to... Remember that from a couple weeks ago when he was like, is it a good episode? Did you make her cry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The reason he asks is if, if it's a good episode is to ask me if I felt good about the episode. Ah. Not necessarily if it's like a good topic or like anything like that. All right. Well, so. I just got to throw out some marriage advice from a single person. Um, maybe phrase that a little different. <laughs> that hits different, Robbie, when you phrase <laughs> it. Are they good episodes? All of them are good. You joking? <laughs> Although I, I don't necessarily agree. <laughs> we talked about it. I feel like there are some episodes we were, where we do not shine Certain episodes do not shine as the brightest stars in the constellation. And that's okay. You need some dim stars that you can tell which ones are the brightest. Exactly. It's all right. Wow, what good. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Let that be a lesson. Heck. You thought you were coming here for spoofs and goofs and sometimes spooks, but also Therapy. life and death hacks. <laughs> Therapy, but mostly life and death hacks. Well. Put that on the bridge. Sorry, I really like that. Spoofs and goofs Goofs and sometimes spooks. It's been a minute, I feel like, since we've had a put it on the merch. Yeah, that's a nice one, too. Put it It on the merch. Concise. That's also Nickelodeon. Yes, we finally figured it out. I have three sound bites (laughs) that are all the. I got three looks! And that's That's all I know how to do! (laughs) Alright. Alright. What's happening today, Emma? Well, as we know by now, 
Christmas is coming. It is the holiday season. It's the holiday season. Whoop-dee-doo. And I wanted to ask if you've ever been given a gift that you, like, didn't know what to do with, like, didn't really understand or anything like that. Like, I didn't know what the gift was or more, like, why did they gift this specific thing to me? I mean, either. Like, have you ever gotten a gift where you're like, what? Yeah. What? A gold watch. What? <laughs> like, said what so many times. Like a watch? Thing where no, I, I know, but like who... Who gave that to you? Oh, yeah. That's Somebody right. who I feel like should know me, but like doesn't necessarily know me as well as maybe they should so or I would want them. So it was more like, oh, we have to give her something Rather, but like, I feel like this person is in the camp of like, well, if I just give them a gift card or money, it's like impersonal. Yeah. But for the record, I would rather just get a gift card if you don't, if you truly have no idea. Yeah. I would rather have a gift card than a something just to have something because I definitely donated the watch because I was never going to wear it. Yeah. And that's like a misunderstanding of like who you are, what your style is, like, what you like wearing and all of that. I can get that. Anyway, thanks for coming to my therapy session. <laughs> Merry um, Christmas. I, even though I asked this question, I couldn't think of something in particular. <laughs> it usually is, like, so, I mean, I would I would probably go the same along the same lines of, like, you know, it's usually something like jewelry. I don't wear a lot of jewelry. Or it's like, oh, here, I got you this notebook because I know you like books. And mm-hmm. I have now so many empty notebooks because I feel weird about committing to writing something in a notebook. So, Well, if it's a really beautiful notebook. Then I'm never going to write in it. Yeah. yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write something wrong in it. I'm going to have to cross it out. And I'm like, well, this is ruined now. Yeah. So I'm never going to touch the it. And yeah. Yeah. Or so, like a candle. Like I feel like people... We'll just, you know, that's like a co-worker sort of gift. Like, here's a large vanilla-scented candle. Happy holidays. Or, like, the mug that comes with, like, hot cocoa in it. Yeah. That, like, nobody the really impersonal. wants a, Nobody really wants a mug that says, like, Ghirardelli on it, right? But, like, the Im- I, I think what we're getting at is the ones that we don't necessarily understand or expect or, like, are, like, the impersonal ones. Like, uh-huh. I, if you don't know me all that well, do not feel obligated to get me a gift, basically. Yes, I agree. As yeah. someone who gives people gifts, all, like, as a form of affection, I don't expect gifts in return. No, but I, same. I also, <laughs> I also hate putting people in awkward, like, awkward situations where they feel then, like, guilty or, like, obligated. So my go-to move is to just, like leave a gift <laughs> so that they can find it when I'm not there. Like you left a bottle of wine in my bedroom um, yeah. after Thanksgiving to thank us for having Thanksgiving before Thanksgiving was over. <laughs> Clarification. The bedroom was also like the coat room. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. didn't just like sneak, sneak in. into their room. You were also doing diabetes things. so uh, Yeah. So. Which I know is not a lie because there's debris in our uh, trash can. <laughs> yeah. You know. It, sometimes you just gotta... Pump up the insulin on Thanksgiving. Yeah. But yeah, like, in that case, it was like a, a hosting gift. So obviously I wasn't expecting, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. guys. But like, not everyone 
bring stuff, so I didn't want other people who didn't bring a hosting gift to, like, feel awkward. Yeah, so you want to get I hate that it, like, vibe of, like, oh, my oh gosh, no, I'm lesser have, or whatever. So I, I should have brought I something. stashed it. Yeah. And good job, because it's also from the winery that we love, so I'm excited. We haven't cracked it open yet, but it will That's be. That's fair. Um, but all that to say... <laughs> Oh, are you going to tell me of how someone got gifted a haunted tiara and then they died? Merry Christmas? No. Oh. Because... You were giving me a face. I was like, did I get it? Until... Until New Year's Day. My gift to you... (laughs) Are Shannony episodes. (gasps) Oh! Wow! So I already have them planned out. Oh wow! Which That's never happens, great. y'all. <laughs> um, I'm very That's a excited. Gift to yourself. <laughs> oh, truly, I may have. It may also like super benefit me. Um, but today, Shannon, we are going to talk about the Beal ciphers or the Beal papers. Well, From your face. I have no idea, but how exciting. <laughs> I can tell you have no clue what we're doing. So, um, <laughs> why don't we uh, buckle in to a horse and buggy? Oh, very Amish. Okay. Yes, so we're going back to 1885. Okay. All right. You there? Oh, oh, oh. The horses. <laughs> I guess we don't need to. It was more like plop, 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 because yeah. we're not cantering, but... Okay. We could be. Are we running away from something? Are we spies? No. Oh, okay. So, let's begin. Okay. In 1885, Virginian Book and Job Print, a printing company in Lynchburg, Virginia, Oh, hey! Published a pamphlet titled, quote, The Beale Papers, containing authentic statements regarding the treasure buried in 1819 and 1821 near Buford's in Bedford County, Virginia, and which has never been recovered, end quote. Because, of course, we tell the entirety of the story in the title. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, we only got people for like two seconds. Treasure? Treasure! The pamphlet cost 50 cents which would be about $15 today, which is really a high price for a pamphlet at a time. And if you don't know what a pamphlet is, like, I, I, I hope you do, but at this time period, it would be basically, like, maybe four to eight pages, like, sewn together, like, folded mm-hmm. in half and sewn together. The um, Reynolds pamphlet. Yeah. Have you read this ish? That's gonna be president now. That's gonna be president now. The pamphlet detailed the following account. And a lot of this is gonna be paraphrased. So, or at least, like, summarized. A good chunk of the first portion of the pamphlet is praising a man named Robert Morris and his wife, Sarah Mitchell Morris, of Lynchburg, Virginia. He had failed in the tobacco trade, but succeeded in the hotel business and died in 1863 with a, quote, unblemished character, end quote, and to the great lament of poor and wealthy alike, apparently. Hmm. A year before he died, Morris told the author of the pamphlet, an unnamed friend, that he had in his possession a secret that, given to the right person, would garner them a lot of money. After some time, Morris decided to give this friend a box containing papers that were covered in a series of numbers. 
The friend pressed Morris for a reason as to why he had these and what exactly they meant. Morris told him of a man named Beale. The following is directly from the pamphlet from the perspective of Robert Morris. And I'm going to read an entire chunk of this. So I'm sorry. It just, there's so much here that it makes no sense to paraphrase. So here we go. This is all a quote. It was in the month of January 1820, while keeping the Washington Hotel, that I first saw and became acquainted with Beale. In company with two others, he came to my house seeking entertainment for himself and friends. Being assured of a comfortable provision for themselves and their horses, Beale stated his intention of remaining for the winter, should nothing occur to alter his plans, but that the gentlemen accompanying him would leave in a few days for Richmond, near which place they resided, and that they were anxious to reach their homes, from which they had long been absent. They all appeared to be gentlemen, well-born and well-educated, with refined and courteous manners and a free and independent air, which rendered them particularly attractive. Or not particularly, peculiarly attractive, which I'm not sure why. After remaining a week or ten days, the two left, after expressions of satisfaction with their visit. Beale, who remained, soon became a favored and popular guest. His social disposition and friendly demeanor rendered him extremely popular with everyone, particularly the ladies. With the ladies! <laughs> and a pleasant and friendly intercourse was quickly established between them. Oh, is that what we're calling it that's now? What, that's what we're calling that's it now. That's what we're calling it. In person, he was about six feet in height with jet black eyes and hair of the same color, worn longer than was the style at that time. Oh, His... very serious black vibes. Mm -hmm. His form was symmetrical. Oh, jeez, oh. <laughs> Emma. <laughs> and gave evidence of unusual strength and activity. But his distinguishing feature was a dark and swarthy complexion, oh. as if much exposure to the sun and weather had thoroughly tanned and discolored him. This, however, did not detract from his appearance, and I thought him the handsomest man I had ever seen. <laughs> Very hetero of you. Right? <laughs> Very. We love this. We love it. We love bros admiring bros. Honestly. Altogether, he was a model of manly beauty, favored by the ladies and envied by men. To the first, he was reverentially tender and polite. To the latter, affable and courteous, when they kept within bounds. But if they were supercilious or presuming, the lion was aroused, and woe to the man who offended him. <laughs> okay, for the record, I'm just picturing Ben Barnes in the role that Tumblr cast him in as Young Sirius Black, that it never actually happened, but he's just accepted it. I could... So totally see Ben Barnes as Woo! this man. We love it. Yeah. Instances of this character occurred more than once when, while he was my guest and always resulted in his demanding and receiving an apology. His character soon became universally known and he was no longer troubled by impertinence. Such a man was Thomas Jefferson Beale. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. All right. Say it again now. <laughs> as he appeared in 1820 and in his subsequent visit to my house. He registered simply from Virginia, but I am of the impression he was from some western portion of the state. No idea what that means. Like, I, un I understand, like, what that means, like, literally, but I don't know what it means in the context of, of this time period. Maybe, like, more agricultural than the coast 
Dulp side? No clue. We're also in Lynchburg, so like the western, you're pretty... See, but I feel like people who are actually from Lynchburg identify as like central Virginia. That's, yeah. But to me, I'm like, it's southwest. Yeah. Southwest. But they're like, no. And I'm like, mm, no, okay. Okay. All right. Curiously enough, he never adverted to his family or to his antecedents, nor did I question him concerning them, as I would have done had I dreamed of the interest that in future would attach to his name. So basically, like, I didn't ask about his family, and I would have had I known what was going to happen. Yeah. He remained with me until about the latter end of the following March, when he left with the same friends who first accompanied him to my house, and who had returned some days before. After this, I heard nothing from him until January 1822, when he once more made his appearance. The same genial and popular gentleman as before, but, if possible, darker and swarthier than ever. Mm. His welcome was a genuine one, as all were delighted to see him. In the spring, at about the same time, he again left, but before doing so, handed me this box, as he said contained papers of value and importance, and which he desired to leave in my charge until called for hereafter. Of course, I did not decline to receive them, but little imagined their importance until his letter from St. Louis was received. This letter I carefully preserved, and it will be given with these papers. The box was of iron, carefully locked, and of such weight as to render it a safe depository for articles of value. I placed it in a safe and secure place where it could not be disturbed until such time as it should be demanded by its owner. The letter alluded to above was the last communication I ever received from Beale, and I never saw him again. I can only suppose that he was killed by Indians afar from his home, though nothing was heard of his death. His companions, too, must all have shared his fate, as no one has ever demanded the box or claimed his effects. The box was left in my hands in the spring of 1822, and by authority of his letter, I should have examined its contents in 1832, ten years thereafter, having heard nothing from Beale in the meantime. But it was not until 1845, some 23 years after it came into my possession, that I decided upon opening it. During that year, I had the lock broken, and with the exception of the two letters addressed to myself and some old receipts, found only some unintelligible papers, covered with figures and totally incomprehensible to me. According to his letter, these papers convey all the information necessary to find the treasure he has concealed, and upon you devolves the responsibility of recovering it. Should you succeed, you will amp be amply compensated for your work, and others near and dear to me will likewise be benefited. The end is worth all your exertions, and I have every hope that success will reward your efforts. End entire quote. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I would have cracked open that thing right away. Because that's who I am. I need to know this. Like, if you give me a secret, like, and I don't know you, I don't know you. So don't trust Emma with your secrets. <laughs> I don't like secrets. I do appreciate that he put a clause in. Like, if you don't hear from me after 10 years, you can open but it. But then he didn't open it then. He waited 23 years. Well, he had a lot going on. He's, like, running hotels and stuff, right? Yeah. Which I think is now the Red Shoe Hotel. The Craddock? Yeah. The Craddock Terry? The something? Craddock Terry, something like that. Look, we don't... We never went there. We always just went slightly down the street to the tea shop yeah or to the uh was it johnny on the water what is it called i don't know the, i feel like i've been there like every twice. time your mom came to visit that's where we went oh i know what you're talking about i don't think that was the name of it no but it's like on james or on the water or something like that yeah something i don't know 
uh, college story on your bingo card. There you go. Ba-bing. Waterstone Pizza is also really good. Yes. I still follow them on Instagram. Even though I have not been into like Lynchburg proper in like a minute. Me neither. I've been to Ward's Road, but that doesn't really count. That doesn't count. That's just terrifying territory. So Morris also sounds like super attracted to this man, or at least very appreciative of the aesthetic. But I just like the way that he described him as like dark and swarthy of like, oh, he's tall, dark and handsome. Please know that whenever you say Morris. You think Stegosaurus? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, he's the unofficial mascot of the pod. Him and Nick. And Gus the ghost. Oh, Yeah. He's really been slacking on his duties. He has not shown up in a minute for work. Yeah. We need to, I don't know who you call, we need to get the Ouija board out. (laughs) So the contents of the box were as follows. Three sheets of paper, each with sets of numbers separated by commas, marked as one, two, and three, and which are said to be the ciphers. The first outlines where the treasure is, the second what the treasure is, and the third who to allocate it to and the addresses of their next of kin. Two letters given to Morris, one explaining what is in the box and that he should wait 10 years to open it, added to the box by Morris, and the other being the note about what should be on the letters in the cipher, including that Morris would be receiving Beale's share for his secrecy and safekeeping of the box should Beale never show up. The receipts, lastly, are what were in the box that apparently had nothing to do with the letters or the ciphers, which part of me doubts. Like, maybe that was the key for the ciphers. Like, why do you Mm -hmm. not think that the thing in the box that is locked in the box with all the other things is not important? But apparently they were not important. Did he just, like, sweep off his desk and was like, I'm too lazy to get them out? Probably not. Feels a little weird, but okay. And the pamphlet doesn't go into them. Like, it gives Mm -hmm. you no time for it. So I'm like, I'm just gonna leave it. Like, obviously... You don't know what's on them. We don't know what's on them. Whatever. The letter which Beale left in the box for Morris gave the following story. And this is all paraphrased. Beale outlined how he and a party of 30 men had decided to go west from St. Louis in May to pursue hunting bears and bison and all manner of large animals. He, Beale, had been chosen as their leader. The excursion would terminate in Santa Fe, which was actually Santa Fe de Nuevo, Mexico, which would probably be present-day Colorado. Oh. And would probably take, because right now it's a territory. Mm-hmm. In like 1820-ish. 1819. And would probably take two years to get there and back. Off they went into the west, making it to Santa Fe by December. They planned on sitting out the rest of the winter in Santa Fe. By March, they were really bored. And some of the party decided to go explore the area around Santa Fe, saying that they would only be gone a few days to hunt. They were gone for a month, and when they sent word about where they were, they gave an account of how they had hunted and then followed a stampede of buffalo through a valley and found something very interesting. While resting and setting up camp, one of the men noticed in a cleft of rock something that looked very much like gold. The men sent back word to the rest of the party once they had all seen it and somehow confirmed that it was gold, asking Beale for supplies, tools, and his presence. He found the small party and brought with him more men so that they could make quick work of mining out the gold. He determined that they would all get equal share between the 30 of them so that there would be no infighting. All right. You all get one McNugget of gold. McNugget! (laughs) 
For 18 months, the entire party worked on this, mining out gold as well as silver. And by the time that it seemed that they had mined all that they could, there was a considerable amount of gold and silver, plenty to go around. But it was a lot to hold on to in an unfamiliar and for them potentially dangerous place. And so, because he was their leader, it was determined that Beale should take the entirety of their treasure and bring it back to Virginia, where most of them were from, and stow it away in a cave near Buford's Tavern in Bedford County, Virginia, where all of the men had been at least once. Okay, familiar space for everybody, so everyone knows where it is, mm-hmm. all 30 of you. Mm-hmm. They all made their way back east, with only 10 of the party accompanying Beale to Bedford County. When they got there, however, they realized that the cave they wanted to keep their treasure in was often frequented by farmers of the area as a cold place to store their potatoes and other dry goods. I said potatoes. Well done. Thank you. I didn't even try. Here's a gold star. Thanks! Beale said, quote, We soon selected a better place, and to this the treasure was safely transferred, end quote, but does not say where. Another letter to Morris from Beale upon the receipt of the box and papers says the following, quote, With regard to the box left in your charge, I have a few words to say, and if you will permit me, give you some instructions concerning it. Should none of us ever return, you will please preserve carefully the box for the period of ten years from the date of this letter, and if I or no one with authority from me during that time demands its restoration, you will open it, which can be done by removing the lock. You will find, in addition to the papers addressed to you, other papers which will be unintelligible without the aid of a key to assist you. Such a key I have left in the hands of a friend in this place, St. Louis, which is where the message was coming from, sealed addressed to yourself and endorsed not to be delivered until June 1832. By means of this, you will understand fully all that you will be required to do. End quote. No letter arrived in 1832. Hmm. The friend Morris gave the papers to spent the next 20 years of his life devoting himself to the discovery of this treasure, never getting close enough. He was, however, able to decode the second page of the cipher using the Declaration of Independence, (gasps) but past that got nowhere. (laughs) So he included in pamphlet his own decoding of paper number two, which reads, quote, I have deposited in the county of Bedford, about four miles from Buford's, in an excavation or vault six feet below the surface of the ground, the following articles belonging jointly to the parties whose names are given in number three, herewith. The first deposit consisted of 1,014 pounds of gold and 3,812 pounds of silver, deposited November 1819. The second was made December 1821 and consisted of 1,907 pounds of gold and 1,288 pounds of silver also jewels, obtained in St. Louis in exchange for silver to save transportation and valued at $13,000 in 1822. As the kids say, sheesh! Mm -hmm. (laughs) The above is securely packed in iron pots with iron covers. The vault is roughly lined with stone and the vessels rest on solid stone and are covered with others. Paper number one describes the exact locality of the vault so that no difficulty will be had in finding it. (laughs) End quote. That's a lot of digging to be doing in November. Yeah. The, the ground is very hard. Yeah. This means that the gold, silver, and jewels traded 
because the jewels were traded Mm -hmm. for the silver, combined would now be worth anywhere from $45 million to $93 million. Let's take a field trip. Right? Let's call all of Paint and Patches. (laughs) We can really get a whole group going. Grab a shovel. Grab a metal detector. We're going for a walk. A long, long walk. (laughs) That's a hike that Shannon would be willing to take. (laughs) Look, if you're going to pay me that much money. Uh. The friend claimed that trying to decode these ciphers had taken over his life and made him practically waste the past 20 years. And so to try very very Nick Cage in truly in National Treasure true, vibes. Truly, cut to his his dad. Cut to John Voight being like, Ben, you just gotta. Did you get her pregnant? You actually know a woman. Wow. You actually talked to somebody else. Wow, shocking. And so, to try and offload the burden of it, and to hopefully solve the mystery, he decided to publish the ciphers and wrote the pamphlet. It was printed by a company owned by another friend of Mr. Morris's, James B. Ward. The story spread... Ward's Road! Mm Mm-hmm. Well done. The story spread and the royalties from the pamphlet went to Ward as the friend remained unnamed and unknown. Oh. For over 130 years now, people have tried to find the Beale Cipher treasure, tried to decode the other two pages, tried to find anything about the possible hoard of gold and silver and jewels, but nothing has been found. Countless people have been charged with trespassing and unauthorized digging on private land in the area of Bedford County, mm-hmm. especially around the Peaks of Otter, which is a portion of the Blue Ridge near Bedford, which is the purported, like, exact spot. Mm-hmm. One group got authorization to dig under the condition to split the treasure 50-50 with the landowners, but only found Civil War ar- artifacts. Ugh. Even so, these artifacts paid for all equipment and travel, so they felt fine breaking even, even if they hadn't found the treasure. Oh, that's cool. You get your name in a museum. Right? A Pennsylvanian woman used her disability check in 1983 to rent a backhoe and dig up a portion of a churchyard in Bedford County. She was arrested and told by the judge to never set foot in Virginia again. (laughs) She literally dug up a coffin and human remains, and they were like... Ma'am. No. Get out. <laughs> no. What? What? Uh, just the audacity. Truly. The area around Bedford thrives off tourism from hikers, winos, and treasure hunters alike. And this is from Northern Virginia Magazine, the following. I'm mad that I never heard about this while we were at school. Truly. Quote, Local efforts to play off the treasure's notoriety are tastefully few. Danny Johnson makes a Beale treasure line of wine, including an apple-strawberry concoction called Strawberry Shortcake. And in 2017, the area's first craft brewery-slash-restaurant opened in town. Beale's Brewery uses the treasure story to make its signature brew, Beale's Gold. So, there is gold in Bedford, and you can take it home in six packs. (laughs) End quote. Most of the locals hate the legend. (laughs) disbelieving it and annoyed at the trespassers who dig holes on their land and make it treacherous for people, cows, and anything else that may fall into the holes left. And a lot of the time, if there are people who are coming to, like, dig holes um, and, like, try and find the treasure, they will go to the landowners and be like, hi, um, I would like to pay you for the, like, plot of land for, like, the time that I need it Mm -hmm. to find any treasure. And in Virginia, if you find it, you keep it. 
doesn't matter whose land it is. So, you know, they can strike up a deal with you that it's like 50-50 or anything like that. But um, a lot of the time, these people run out of money and don't fill up the holes again and just leave. And so a lot of farmers who have, ranchers really, who have that kind of land in order Mm -hmm. to do that, end up with cows that they have to put down because they break their legs in holes, which is just one really not very cost effective um, and very expensive and two really sad. Yeah. So just very inconsiderate. Don't be a jerk. Seriously. Fill up a hole. Truly. Jeez. Well, and I got, see, my thing was going to be like, well, if you find it, it shouldn't be finders keepers. What about the descendants of these guys? But I guess their argument is that we don't know, we can't decipher the last page. Yeah. So we don't know who it's supposed to go to. Exactly. But, all right, never mind. I'm going to wait until we get <laughs> to the theory part because okay. maybe you'll talk about it. But I might. I have feelings. Okay. There have been a few documentaries and TV shows that feature the Beale Cipher, like Unsolved Mysteries, Expedition Unknown, and a National Geographic show called The Numbers Game. There was even a 2010 award-winning short film titled The Thomas Beale Cipher about the ciphers themselves. So there's a lot that people find interesting about this. Mm. The gold, silver, and jewels location remains a mystery to this day. Bedford County and what would be the area of Buford's Tavern, I keep calling it Buford or Buford, I can't decide. I feel like it's probably the second one. Yeah. Buford. Buford. <laughs> Buford's Tavern, a town called Montvale now, sits between present-day Roanoke and Lynchburg, Virginia, about an hour from Sweetbriar College. What's up? So we could definitely put this on the road trip road very easily. Trip. Let's go. So Oh my gosh, we could bring Cheryl and Kai. Oh my gosh, Cheryl we'll like, would love that. We'll be like we're like, Cheryl, there's treasure. Kai, there's alcohol. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Is it dog friendly? Perfect. Yes. So now we get to our theories. Mm-hmm. This is a nice chunky hefty section. Nice chunky hefty section. Mm-hmm. Alright. We have the second cipher solved by the friend of Morris who went broke trying to solve the rest and find the treasure, but his mode of discovery points to a few discrepancies. Uh Uh-oh. So, he used the Declaration of Independence as his key to solving the second cipher. I forgot about that. (laughs) But it didn't seem to work for the other two. Clearly, it's the the Bill of Rights and the... Uh, Constitution. I was like, what's the other big important document? <laughs> AP history coming back to you. Uh, I never took a push. I was crazy. No, not me either. <laughs> I was afraid of the teacher. Ooh. The way he deciphered it was by taking the number, the first one is 115, and finding the 115th number in the declaration, and then taking the first letter of that word and working from there with all of the numbers on the page, letter by letter. They really... Did they know about this when they were writing National Treasure? My guess is yes. It feels like they did. In order to do this intelligibly, however, he would have had to have modified the spellings and had words removed in order to have something in plain English. Mm. By this method, the first sentence says, quote, I have deposited in the county of Bedford about four miles from Buford's, etc., end quote. Without disordering the words or spelling, the first sentence goes like this, quote, a high deposited tint in a wit or its drews 
a bop fair miles trua bots wow the only intelligible word in there is miles miles you sounded like the tiktok voice lady but it's like Yes, queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That was like weird slam poetry. Thank you. I appreciate that. that. Snaps for me, y'all. Um, obviously, this is not very helpful and uh, makes the idea that he used the declaration as the key a little iffy. So did he, like, use something else, but he didn't want to tell anybody? I don't know if maybe he was... Because this is the other thing, is that the Declaration of Independence has a very particular spelling. Mm-hmm. And it, you can't necessarily take words out of it mm-hmm. um, in order to make it, like, more intelligible or anything like that. And it was also, like, copied multiple times for, you know, people to read out. Right, yeah. It's not, like, he like, went, it's not like he could walk into the National Archives like Nick Cage and see the real thing it was like yeah a copy of a copy so the possibility that maybe there was like a because at this point there's you know mass printing so it's possible that you know it's in a a book of some kind he was able to find it somewhere to be able to read it but it would probably be a pretty exact facsimile of the Mm -hmm. declaration there isn't really a possibility of there being too many missing words. Like, there might be one or two, but like, not, like, It wasn't, 15. Like the King James Version. No! <laughs> so, the T-Jeff Version. Right? The George Washington Version. So, the T-Jeff Version. <laughs> yeah, T-Jeff, you know. T-Jeff. The Hamilton Edition. Uh, so, there are some sources that go into more detail about just which words would have been eliminated and which lines would need to be changed and all of that, and they're in the show notes, but they're very extensive. Someone has done very good work on this, um, so feel free to go look at those. Overall, the reasoning behind having three separate messages in code with at least two, if not more, keys seems odd. Once the second one was deciphered, saying the general area and the bulk of the treasure, the final letter with the men and their next of kin who were to receive the money would be unnecessary to decipher for those who just wanted the money. Oh, true. We also do not have these original messages, only the pamphlets reprint of them. So any kind of authentication is basically impossible. Mm-hmm. Cryptographers of the 19th and 20th century have tried to decode the other two letters and have found some interesting things. The third cipher apparently appears too short to include all 30 men's next of kin if each number corresponds to one letter. And we know that based on the letters that Beale wrote to Morris, supposedly, that it included not just the men's names, but the names of their next of kin and where they lived. So, like, that's a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't necessarily correspond to, you know, one letter for each of them if it's not very long. And also, like, an address or like a number of people you'd have to spell out that the right. number in order to say unless it, it was like 10 of these people <laughs> there are seven brothers and they all have seven brides and they live <laughs> at this one farm <laughs> which might have happened like the fact the idea that there might be like brothers on this trip it's not impossible mm-hmm. but yeah probably no more than three um you don't know their life i mean like three three brothers and then three brothers and then three brothers up to yeah, 30 I'm but like i don't, don't know, know. Anyway, a researcher named Carl Hammer found using, y'all right there, like his name. Carl Hammer. 
like Thor. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> He's thinking, the German version I of Thor. I was thinking, um, what is it? Iron Man 3? Hammer is like Oh, that's his right. Rival. Maybe it's Iron Man 2. I think it's Iron Man he's 2. Some, he's somebody's rival in that. Jo- Justin. Justin Hammer. He's like trying to be Iron Man, but he's evil, so it doesn't work. Well, this is Carl. Carl. So far as I know, he is not an evil mastermind. Well, time will tell, I guess. Yeah. He found, using 1960s supercomputers to help him, because that was his time period, he, that's when he lived, he didn't just like go back to like 1960 in order to do this, <laughs> that while the coded letters were poorly encoded, the number designations weren't random, and so probably could be cracked to reveal some kind of message, though it couldn't be determined if it would make any sense. Because you can have something that isn't necessarily random and still have it be unintelligible. Mm-hmm. There has been some statistical analysis of the ciphers done. The frequencies of the last digits of the numbers are not uniformly distributed, making some numbers more common than others in each cipher, which is promising because that might mean that there's you know more E's and so that makes sense because that's the most common letter in the English language. Or there's like you know, repeating numbers one right after the other, and it spells out the, and it happens a lot, and, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So that's promising. This is a following from Wikipedia on the statistical analysis. Quote, However, if one considers a base that is relatively prime to 10, then the last digits of the numbers in the unsolved ciphers turn uniform. Each digit is equally common. The frequency of the solved cipher stays non-uniform. This indicates a complex behavior in the solved cipher as one might expect from an encoded message, while the unsolved ciphers have a simpler behavior. Humans have limited abilities when it comes to generating random numbers out of thin air. One explanation for the difference between base 10 and the other ones is that the numbers were produced by a human in base 10, which could mean that the ciphers are fraudulent. End quote. Basically, like, humans don't think very far in terms of like randomness of numbers like the amount of numbers that you'd be able to come up Mm -hmm. with on the fly wouldn't necessarily be as random as you'd think so the base number would usually end up being like multiples of 10 um and so you'd be like 160 185 or anything like that that Mm -hmm. would be divisible by five almost so Hmm. it's interesting to think about like the one cipher that has been solved is the only one that doesn't necessarily have this frequency of base 10. Hmm. There is still the possibility, regardless of the statistical work, that the key just hasn't been found. Attempts using books of the Bible, the Constitution, the Magna Carta, and the Virginia Royal Charter have come to naught, but it could be that Beale wrote the key himself and it was part of the letter which was never sent in 1832, or they use different kinds of decodings entirely. Like it might not be a book cipher, it might be, you know, the numbers match up to add up to something that then becomes, you know, whatever. I think maybe if this is real, that those receipts were what he was using. And we were Mm. just like, oh, some receipts don't need these. They were in the box. You might need them. Mm -hmm. So there is another interesting aspect of these ciphers in the pamphlet that has led to some questions. The words themselves. The letters have a few English words like improvise and stampede, which were not widely in use at the time of the alleged writing of these letters. Mm. Improvise was not recorded in English before the 1820s, 
but was used in French from 1786 in the area of New Orleans. Stampede comes from the Spanish word estampida for an uproar, but doesn't appear in print until 1832 in English, used from 1786 to 1823 again in the New Orleans area, because this is like the area mm. of like, it's a new territory, there's not even a territory at this point, I don't really know. But like, it's full of all of these, you know, there's still Frenchmen there or that are still there, and the Spanish are coming over from Florida and from, you know, all of the Caribbean and Mexico and all of that. However, if we remember, Beale was described as swarthy mm. and dark. Mm -hmm. So could he have been French Creole or even Mexican and lied about his Virginia roots? Mm. Which is interesting, I think. He very likely could have lied. As census records of 1810 do name at least two Thomas Beals, but one is from Connecticut and the other from New Hampshire. However, census records are missing from seven states, one territory, D.C., and at least 18 counties in Virginia from this time period. The, the census in 1820 shows at least two, including a Captain Thomas Beale, who fought in the Battle of New Orleans, who was from Virginia's Botetourt County, 12 miles from Bedford, but again, records for three states and one territory are missing. Also, before 1850, census counts only took down the name of the head of the household, so he could have been living at someone else's home, not his own, and never been recorded by name. Mm -hmm. So we might not even really know where he was. Also, his name is Thomas Jefferson Beale. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. So we put that tuna tuna together. I'm sorry, what was that? Ah, okay, thank you, Muppet. Welcome. If this story is in any way true, the possibility of one of the 30 taking the loot for themselves is high. There are 30 of them. 10, at the very least, know where exactly the treasure is because they went with Beale or at least know the general vicinity, and all 30 agreed to its general location. It seemed, too, that even if Beale never came back for the box, the probability of one of the others coming back should have been pretty high. And the crew went twice to the site to mine it and then traded silver in St. Louis for gems for easier transport to put into the same spot that they buried the other things two years before. Mm -hmm. So someone knew something. It seems that the possibility, the probability is really high for me. So even if it's true, the treasure might not even be there anymore because someone went back for it and just dug it all up and didn't tell anyone. Right. So. There was also a suggestion that Edgar Allan Poe was responsible for writing the pamphlet. Plot twist. <laughs> Unexpected celebrity mention. Yep. Using it as a story device, as he had an interest in cryptography and had an ad in a Philadelphia paper soliciting ciphers for him to solve, which he always did. Like, he would just, he just had an ad that basically said, hey, if you have a cipher for me to solve, like, send it to me. I want to prove that I'm, like, really smart. Basically. And when he'd always I'm, solve them. When I'm not busy, like, being married to my cousin. <laughs> Who's, like, ten years younger than me. It's fine. I'm a genius. It's okay. I'm just going to drink a lot. And then get lost. And then die. And then come back and die. He even used... Sorry. <laughs> really dark. Croatoan. Anyway. <laughs> he even used a cryptogram as a plot device for his story, The Gold Bug, 
and the pamphlet seemed to follow the same kind of storyline that Poe would write. What? I'm just... This was the 1800s version of when you watch a TikTok of someone appearing to tell a story about themselves, and then they turn out to be an author that's like, so anyway, my book is coming out. Yeah. And you're like, oh my goodness, you you, you snuck it on me. me. You caught me. I'm interested. Now I want to read your book. Basically. Wow. However, Poe died in 1849, mm-hmm. well before the 1885 publication of the pamphlet, but he would have been around for the time that the supposed letters would have been written. Hmm. The pamphlet also mentions the Civil War in these letters, which began in 1861. But... So it's pretty much debunked that Poe wrote the story. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, the mention of the Civil War is not in the letters, it's in Morris's letter to the friend. Okay. Who was, he was dying in 1863. Okay. So that timeline does match up. Sorry, I I said it weirdly. Or, a girl Poe was just a psychic and could tell that there was going to be a Civil War. I mean, I feel like everyone could tell there was going to be a civil war, but yeah. I mean, there was a lot going on. Yeah. So, with all of this, it's pretty much debunked that Poe wrote the story. Oh. But someone else may have. Remember James B. Ward? Yeah. The printer? Well, it is suggested that he is the actual author of the pamphlet he printed, pocketing the money that was rightfully his off of a pamphlet that may include clues to a larger prize, but may also be a hoax. Researchers have found that the author of the pamphlet and the letters supposedly written by Beale are most likely from the same person, based off of word usage, punctuation, and other syntactic structures. Even the second cipher fits this language usage, so the one that has been decoded. Joe Nickel, in his article titled Discovered, The Secret of Beale's Treasure, there's no real secret, He argues that James B. Ward wrote the pamphlet as an allegory for the secret vault of the Freemasons, Ah! of which Ward was one, and used many Masonic phrases in the pamphlet. So the secret vault of the Masons is a symbol for the grave, as they must descend to the vault in order to pass through to eternal life and full truth. Mm. And that's your treasure, basically. Mm. The pamphlet also focuses on the benevolence of both Morris, who was found to have been a mason as well, and the eventual discoverer of the treasure. Benevolence is a tenet of masonry as a counter to greed. It may also explain why the third cipher, seemingly unnecessary, was included. It was a moral obligation of sorts. If Ward wrote it as a way to promote masonry, I'm not sure how well it worked for anyone other than the masons, but it may highlight the greed of those who are just out for themselves. Even so, the treasure described may still exist, even as a possibility of ever finding it dwindles it with time. I did just have another thought. What? That it would be valuable to encrypt the names of the men... Because if you were a bad person and you had figured out where, well, I guess, sort of where. It doesn't really tell you where the treasure is. but Well, that's the first paper that isn't decoded yet. Oh, the second one is like what it is. Yeah. Right, right, right. But like, but if the, you know, if if you had those and then it was just like a list of names 
if you were what's his what's the actor's name the bad guy in National Treasure Aaron is it it's not Aaron Eckert no it's not Aaron Eckert but anyway if you were the blonde guy the blonde bad guy from National Treasure you would totally go and yell at these guys on the paper like to tell you where it is yeah either them or like their family so that I could understand wanting to like lock those down but if it's, it's real it's also interesting to separate each one well and, yeah and it you have makes to have all you, the pieces of the puzzle but it, and it makes you work harder in order to find it it's not going to be like oh you cracked the code good job mm-hmm. and if we're thinking that the Declaration of Independence is the the key for one of the codes, but it doesn't work for the other two, I mean, the probability of they've already tried the Constitution, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. They've already tried, like, the Virginia Charter, it doesn't work. So but, like, what other... sort of, like, central Masonic text? That's what I'm thinking. But, like, is like, how to be a good Mason 101. But I don't know how many of those things would have been are now available for you to read. So, like, but if Morris was a Mason, then the thought process would be, oh, well, even if you don't have the key, you're, like, a Mason, so maybe you'd be able to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And the idea of giving it to another Mason. That's why you wouldn't be stressed about him opening it before 10 years. And, I mean, he didn't. He was very benevolent. He was a good person. His wife, apparently, according... Emma is not a Mason, I'm not... I am not. Um, according to this story, which I didn't really get into at the very beginning, but um, because they did say who he was married to, and this man did exist. William mm-hmm. or, uh, Robert Morris did exist, as did his wife. Mm-hmm. And they did own the Washington Hotel. Mm-hmm. However, it wasn't until 1832, or 18, yeah, 1832 that they actually owned it. So, like, that's interesting in all of that. But within the story that is in the pamphlet after he lost all of his money in the tobacco business he didn't know what to do and his wife encouraged him and was like you know what we could do we could help everybody in lynchburg by building a hotel for everyone who's coming through to go west and we can you know just it it doesn't have to be a lot of money like we can start it with a little bit and it'll be fine it'll be great and then we can help the rest of the of the community and then they did and it was all because of her so thank you sarah Shout out to you. So, apparently she was a a goodly woman, which I love it when they use that phrase. (laughs) Put that on my lower third. (laughs) Goodly woman. A goodly woman. Yeah. Well, that's the story of the Beale Cipher, or the Beale Papers, depending on who you ask. Ugh! I'm so intrigued. Right? And it's so close to where we used to go to school that, like... I'm furious that I was never told. I never knew this. Why did they not... uh, Chang and Laufenberg should have, like... Laufenberg should have paired up for, like, a joint anthropology history class. It would have been so fun. I mean, a portion of What if it's hidden on Sweetbriar property? I mean... That's too far away. Yeah. But, but I'm pretty sure Ashlyn is from Bedford County. No, she's from Nelson County. I, I was going to say, yeah. I, I, even somebody I knew that. lives in Bedford County. I mean, it's not too far away from, like... Jeff Price, it's on your land. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, is that there's a lot of privately owned land, but then the rest of the land is owned by the National Park Service. Ah. So 
there's no possibility of digging. But, but like I'm thinking that I mean it's six feet underground. Right. And there's stone on the bottom and on the top of it. Oh, so that would block a metal detector. No? Exactly. So they even didn't if you have metal detectors, maybe it was aliens. I mean Aliens the fact, told them. The fact that he is described as having a haircut what if, that doesn't what if, match the no, time no, no. period. What if he and the Georgia Guidestone Sky are in the same alien crew? <laughs> Y'all, I wish you could see Emma's face. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, I need to start like recording you before I start saying these things. <laughs> so, like, so I can like screenshot just- your face. I mean, Emma just had to like she just like windows like I had to reboot hourglass face. <laughs> I had to reboot. That's like because as soon honestly, as you were, like, that makes so much he sense. He looks different, but that's what and it reminded he's handsome me of. And like, and he's so like agreeable that yeah, I'll totally hang on to this. I mean, he did like stay at their hotel for a while, but like, but they he had wanted to. To trust him and, like, help And him. even the people who ended up having arguments with him, he'd be, like, he'd turn yeah. around and be, like, you don't get to mess with me. And they'd be, like, oh, so oh, sorry. sorry. And he would You're demand so an apology. You're yeah. so handsome. And he was, yeah, he was well-loved by everybody. He's a time lord. I think that he's a time traveler. He's a time lord. Yeah. It was David Tennant the whole time. With long hair. Casanova, uh, David Tennant. Oh, no. I take it back. It's still Ben Barnes. <laughs> there <laughs> ben we go. Ben Barnes. There we go. I know, uh, I mean, hopefully he's back for season two of Shadow and Bone, but if he doesn't have anything else going on, somebody needs to cast him in this movie that we're creating. I'm surprised that this itself hasn't been, like, a movie movie. This needs to be National Treasure 3. <gasps> somebody call Welcome Nicholas- to National Treasure Talk. <laughs> somebody call Nicolas Cage. Uh, it's just what I'm thinking of this whole podcast. That's weird, too, because there's a connection to New Orleans, too, because Nicolas Cage is obsessed with New Orleans. Ooh. Oh my gosh! How fun. But I'm... Con- okay. A part of me feels very much like, okay, well, we've done the statistical analysis. We've done all the math. We've done all of the, like, computery stuff of, like, the probability of the rest of the ciphers being actual real ciphers. And no one's been able to crack them. Okay. May I interject? Sure. No, finish your thought. Okay. <laughs> I saw you go, I'm going to forget if you keep talking. I'm going to forget. So finish it up. Um, so I can see that half of it, and there's a part of me that really does believe that. I'm like, okay, so the probability is pretty low of, like, these being real ciphers, of us ever finding anything that matches them, to be able to decipher them, all of that. And then the other half of me is, like, if this is a real thing, like, even if parts of it, only parts of it are real, mm-hmm. and baseline there's a treasure somewhere in the Blue Ridge. Uh-huh. That's freaking cool. And it, as a pamphlet, as something that somebody printed, it could possibly be a, like, hey, just letting everyone know this is out there. But, like, people have done that before of, like, hey, I buried treasure. Go find it. Good luck. If I were a rich person, I would totally If I were a rich girl. Gwen Stefani has entered the chat. You're welcome. But also... Oh, wait, I need to do... If I were a rich girl. Who wrote Fiddler on the Roof? Um, It's based off of a uh, Jewish story. No, I mean, but like the music. 
I forget. The music was by Jerry Bach. The lyrics were by Sheldon Harnick. Vocal score is Hal Leonard. Oh. All right. I feel like I knew some of those things at one point in my life. I know Jerry Bach. Sorry, Loretta. Joseph Stein wrote the book. Not the book that it was based on, but the book of the musical. Yes, I understood. No, what I, meant. I know you knew. I know you knew. I knew you knew. What were you going to say? Oh, just that I would totally be an eccentric rich lady and do that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I would love to do that. Honestly. Like, oh, okay. So this ties in with the thought I was going to interrupt you with, but then okay. I didn't. So I was going to say, if these ciphers are real, are real, but they're so hard, can we just make it a part of like, what's the one organization that, um, like really smart people, Mensa? Mensa. Can we just make that part of like the Mensa exam? Like the hilarious, no one would ever get in. <laughs> well, no, 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 but like, it's like, okay, you're doing this exam while we have you here, supposedly really smart person. Just like take a crack at this. Yeah. Here's, here's some possible like things right, like, that might just, work. Like, noodle around with it. Yeah. But, like, if I were an eccentric rich lady, I would totally, like, hide treasure and create whatever. Clues and stuff, yeah. But I would make it, like, a scholarship competition or something. You know what I mean? So it's not just, like, Joe Schmo down the road. I'm like, no, I don't want to give you my money. I want it to, like, go to some smart I want to benefit, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. Oh, no. But what if? No, 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 no. But I'd have to make it. Hold on. I'm too excited. I got to readjust on the couch. Okay, so picture this. <laughs> I'm an eccentric rich lady. I'm already there. You are wearing. I got the like the robe. I was, you all yes, know exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. You I was know? like, you're wearing a robe. The widow robe. Yes. It's great. How did I become very rich? We don't need to talk about it. I make it like a complex series of clues. Yes. But it has to be like different areas of knowledge, right? So like you can't just be a math person. You also need someone on your team that's, like, the nerdy musical kid and, like, someone who's good at languages. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then, like, this, this, this is, like, breakfast club style of, like, random people all come together and they're totally, like, oh, we're only in it for the treasure because, like, somebody has to, like, save the family farm and someone else is, like, trying to go to Juilliard and whatever and, like, da 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 And then they, like, maybe they find the treasure or maybe the treasure isn't real. We don't know. Am I alive in the story? Don't know yet. We'll workshop it. But, like, you know, they have that scene... Where they, like, find the thing and they, like, open the hatch and then they look down and it's just, like, nothing. It just says, the real treasure was the friendship you made along the way. (laughs) The friends you made along the way. No, but, like, that moment of, like, totally the moment that happens in National Treasure of, like, wait, really? That's it? We're here in this dusty, empty room and there's, like, one skeleton over here? That's it? What? Like, when Riley is just, like, having an existential crisis. You know, they're there, and they're just, like, And then, like, the jerky guy is, like, whatever. I'm gonna go, and, like, it starts to leave. But then, like, they have, like, this moment where they realize it was the moment, you know, the friendship. But then also, because I love a happy ending, they, they, whichever kid will, like, spot something, and they, like, pull a lever, and then, like, it's actually there. You know what you just wrote? What? Your favorite trope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting the band together and treasure. You just wrote your perfect movie. Uh, because please. it was literally, it's literally National Treasures meets <laughs> Avengers meets, like, fame. Like, 
not the Avengers. They're not fighting. That's what I mean. Is like it, it's it's all of these They're getting band back together things. But you're you you understand what I mean? Yes, I do. You're correct. But doesn't that sound like a great movie? It sounds like an amazing movie, and you need to write it. Damn it! You have now written a horror film, a adventure film, and I think you wrote a comedy film at some point in our podcast. So Probably. like. I, why are you not doing this for a living? Like, I'm an ideas person. <laughs> the follow-through. Sounds like my I... dad. The bone shaman will literally walk up to me and be like, doesn't this sound like a great idea for a book? Go write it. And I'm like, "What? why do I have to do anything? What? Like, you just thought up this idea about a parrot who knows the secret code to a, <laughs> to a weird, like, mine that holds a tread. He was also very invested in treasure stories. <laughs> But, like, why do I have to write it? And he's like, because he knows the murder. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> What's going on? I mean, you've been subjected to me sending a Marco Polo at, like, one in the morning being like, all right, picture this. <laughs> Here's an idea. <laughs> Look, I have a lot of ideas. That's good. But the follow through. It's okay. Watch, like, a year from now, I'm going to present this idea as, like, a <laughs> podcast topic. And then at the end, I'll be like... Great theories, Emma. I made it all up. <laughs> oh my god, please don't ever do that to me. <laughs> I will be so impressed slash upset. Okay, but the reveal would be amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know what I'd do for photos on the Instagram. I don't know either. Wow. Uh, well, um, that was a fun ride. I really enjoyed doing this, this one. This was so good. And this feels like something we could literally go like on a weekend trip to I'm go like, see and then go get wine or something yeah yeah and then we could go get wine wow. and visit sweetbriar it'd be fun so yeah put this on our put this on our road, road trip. trip list y'all I need to do that like actual actually make like a google map like with pins. i'm into that i'm to totally into that or maybe we get an actual map and we like <gasps> hang it up here. oh my gosh How i want fun. it all right. Well, um, Christmas presents, y'all, for for us. Thank you. If you want to tell us anything, <laughs> send us anything. Let us well, know. Sorry, I'm confused. Was the was the whole beginning that we talked about of like, did you ever get a gift you didn't really want? Was that referring to the box of random papers? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're like, what was the lead in well, for? Well, it just felt like a little. Well, because I was like, wait, was was the joke that like. You're like, just kidding, that's not happening because my gift to you is that I'm doing Shannon-style episodes. But I got there. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yes, the box of random, undecipherable papers was the box, the, the gift that you don't... Undecipherable. I know that's literally just the word, but <laughs> I felt the need to say it like that. <laughs> we gotta go, y'all. Oh, you are having a good time. I'm just so amused by this idea. <laughs> okay, but wait. I'm I need not you to done yet. You I need you to write it. You're trying to sign off. No, no, no. I'm back to like your the thing you actually talked about. Oh, it's like sort of real. Maybe we don't. Okay. Know. Not the thing that I just thought up in my head. <laughs> Although, please picture in the widow robe. I also just kind of look like Mrs. Darvis. From high school musical. I'm, like, I'm an eccentric older lady. Yeah. Um, okay, but back to your story. Okay. If it was real. Yes. And if we're, we're assuming it wasn't actually a member of the 30 coming back to steal the treasure. Mm-hmm. With, with 
double crossing or maybe not. It would have to be a broader conspiracy, right? Like someone would have had to murder all, well, at least the 10 that knew where it was and the person who had the letter in St. Louis. Yeah. But if we're going off of the idea that this was similar to the Georgia Guidestones, maybe those ciphers don't necessarily say what they say they say. Do you know what I mean? That was a stupid way of saying it. Um, Oh, yeah. But, like, they have something along the line, like, if this is supposed to be an allegory of, like, you know, the secret vault that they're supposed to be looking for is actually, like, the... Because it's the same depth of a grave... Mm-hmm. six feet underground so like maybe it's supposed to be about like the masonic secrets of like it's about being genuine and generous it's about being you know intelligent and wise and being smart enough to figure these out but also smart enough to know you don't have to like all this kind of stuff like i want to know where those issues lie i'm just i would be so mad if it was just, like, a life lesson and not a real treasure. I really want it to be a real treasure. Me too, but also not because I don't... I only, if, I only want it to be found if it's found by, like, somebody worthy. So maybe I do... Yeah, you do! Stuff. But I'm just like... I don't know. I just have so little faith in humanity that I'm like, no, they're going to use some really smart, genius 15-year-old... And then they're going to, like, cheat him out of it by being like, well, we, f- you, you know, figured it out, but we found it. We're the one with the the shovel, so we get all the... Yeah, because in Virginia, it's literally finders keepers. Which feels incorrect. Even if it's on private property. That, that feels not... And fe- it also okay. feels like you can't verify that. Right? I, like, maybe some photographic evidence, but still, that's, like, private property... Like, that person could have been like, oh, yeah, I found that ages ago and just left it there. I didn't know what it was because I didn't care. Whatever. But now I care. Like, it's on my property. It should be mine. But it's not because in Virginia it doesn't matter. Well, if you find, what, $45 million, uh, you can can pay any court fees for, like, trespassing. (laughs) Yeah. Although, at least, like, leave a tip, right? Like Seriously. Like, thanks so much. Here's, like... An extra 50000 <laughs> Here's a couple gold bars. Right? Just well, I guess in they case. weren't bars, right? Because it wasn't, like, processed. Well, they weren't... It wasn't even bars. It was... Uh, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It was just raw out it of was the just ground. So... Raw... It was just pounds of it. <laughs> raw gold. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, the only processed piece was probably the jewels that they traded stuff for. But even then, the gems probably were uncut. So they probably just look like rocks. Oh. What if... What? Like, they have weirdly been found, and, like, the iron things that they were in were just, like, broken or whatever, and people just thought that they were rocks or, like, part of the ground, and they were like, oh, whatever, and just ignored them. I don't know. I don't know. But apparently we have to look out for, like, a border of rocks around a rectangular space there we so, go basically we're looking for a they're grave. just gonna be found by a bunch of like hapless loving millennials yeah hapless like, hapless millennials rocks. hapless millennials that was the going to be the other name of our podcast right that we decided not to <laughs> we decided not to have a self-burn 
<laughs> That'll be our spinoff that we where we interview people about their uh, celebrity crushes. And yeah. Bad date stories and things. I'm into that. Hapless millennials. I'm into that. All right. Well, I have to go write a book, I guess, or yeah. a movie. I don't know. I say book first because they always get you know get that money and then get the money from the movie rights. Exactly. I mean, by the time that I finish this, I'll, I'll be old enough to play me. So. <laughs> Woohoo! That'll be a good one. All right. Well, until then, remember. This podcast doesn't exist. Just like this treasure. Maybe. Maybe.